0: Well, the first time I ever had to buy toothpaste was when I was in college. Uh, Up until that point, I just assumed that a full tube of toothpaste just magically appeared in the bathroom the day after the previous one ran out. And without my mother to do that for me, early in the fall of my freshman year, I found myself in a grocery store buying bathroom supplies. And if you had asked me before that moment if I thought that buying toiletries would be difficult, I would have said, what, are you crazy? You know, How hard could it be? Just grab a bar of soap, thing of shampoo, thing of deodorant, no big deal but the toothpaste aisle destroyed that illusion. Uh, There are so many choices. Uh, To begin with, you've gotta pick how you want your toothpaste to be applied, because there's flip cap, twist cap, and upright pump. And for me, that was an easy choice. Twist cap is the obvious right decision, uh, because flip caps are all crusty and gross, and if you use one, you disgust me, okay? But then there are flavors, and it's not just mint. There is clean mint, and brisk mint, and ice mint, and fresh mint, which should not be confused with minty fresh. There's Mint Zing, Mint Splash, Mint Wave, Minty Fresh Stripe, Minty Fresh Paste, Minty Fresh Liquid Gel. And then there is the audaciously named Freshest Mint Ever. There is also Refreshing Vanilla Mint and Extreme Herbal Mint, which I didn't know you could use extreme and herbal to describe the same thing, but apparently you can. And of course, there are flavors that are not actually flavors, things that are labeled things like regular, which I don't know what regular tastes like. Uh, And invigorating, or fresh impact, which just sounded kind of painful to me. But uh, that's just a decision of how you want it to taste. Uh, You also have to decide what you want your toothpaste to do, because they don't all do the same thing. Uh, Some toothpaste fight cavities, others gingivitis, some tartar, some bad breath. Uh, You might want whitening, or extra whitening. Uh, There's toothpaste that promises to lift stains or protect your enamel. There's toothpaste with fluoride or oxygen bubbles or calcium, baking soda and peroxide, mouthwash beads, whatever those are, scope, Listerine. Uh, You can get advanced clean or advanced health, but heaven forbid you should want to be both healthy and clean because they come separately, okay? Uh, Some toothpaste is labeled for morning use, some for night use, some is for 12 hours, others is for 24 hours. Some is labeled maximum strength, although curiously there's no half strength or three quarter strength. And if you've got sensitive teeth, even more options for that. Uh, So there I am standing in the toothpaste aisle completely overwhelmed. Uh, I'm pondering chaos theory and the butterfly effect and what the unforeseen ramifications might be on the future of the cosmos if I choose minty fresh baking soda over cool gel tartar control. Uh, I'm thinking to myself, I I can't even pick toothpaste. How am I gonna pick a major or a career or find somebody to marry? Uh, Being an adult is so hard. Don't you agree? We live in a world of unprecedented choices. Think about it this way, imagine you are the average person living about 200 years ago. What would you eat for dinner tonight? Probably whatever was growing in your garden or you had harvested from your field. Uh, You would not drive by a hundred restaurants on your way home. Uh, You wouldn't have dozens of options in your fridge to choose from. Uh, Where would you live? Probably exactly where you were born, if not pretty close to it. What would you do for a living? Uh, Whatever your parents did probably, which meant you would most likely be a farmer. Uh, you wouldn't apply for jobs or decide about majors or careers. You wouldn't sort out job offers. Uh, who would you marry? Well, your, your marriage probably wouldn't be arranged, but your parents would have heavily, uh, heavy influence in the process. And no matter what, your options would be limited. Uh, there'd be no online services to match you up with thousands of single people in your area. There'd be no swiping left for another option. You'd marry someone that you grew up with, went to school with, went to church with, who lived down the street decision making has always been hard but we live in an era where we face more options in a single day than most people dealt with in a month and it can be overwhelming which is why we're doing this series called turn by turn we are looking at the ancient wisdom of the bible to help us navigate our modern lives how do we make decisions as we travel this path of life Uh, Last week, Pastor Jim talked about how the Bible acts as a roadmap for our life. And this week, we want to talk about how alongside of the Bible, it is so important to get good advice from wise people. Uh, This is a message about asking for directions for people who have traveled the path of life before us. So to look at this, we're going to turn to a passage in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in chapter 12. And this is one of those books that's probably easiest to find if you use the table of contents. Uh, the Bible has two books called Kings, 1st and 2nd Kings, and they're not actually separate books. They're really just two volumes of the same book, and they tell the story of Israel's downfall. Uh, when you begin the book of 1st Kings, it, Israel is at the height of their glory. Uh, it is the golden age of the nation. But by the time you get to 2nd Kings, Israel is at its lowest point. Uh, the land has been invaded, uh, the people are being hauled off into exile, and things are really, really bad. And so this book was written while the people were in exile as a way to explore the question, how in the world did this happen? What went wrong? And and who's to blame? And really, where was God in this whole process? Uh, So reading these books is kind of like watching a a slow-motion train wreck. Like you see exactly what's happening, and it's terrible, but there's nothing you can do to stop it, but you can't really look away. So the story we're, we're looking at is about 900 years before Jesus, and it's right at the start of this downward spiral. Let's read in verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. And so the people went away. Here's the first thing I want us to get from this passage. It's why we need good advice. It's why we need good advice. Uh, This is a story about a guy you probably haven't heard of, Rehoboam. Uh, So I'm going to have to give you some historical context here. Uh, Rehoboam was the fourth king of Israel. And while you probably have not heard of him, uh, his father and his grandfather are much more well-known. Rehoboam's dad was Solomon, and his grandfather was King David. And these are the two most important kings in Israel's history. Uh, King David is huge. He is uh, most likely the the most important person other than Jesus in the Bible, right up there with maybe Moses. Uh, David is like the Abe Lincoln of Israel. Uh, He didn't start the country, but he embodies the country's highest ideals. And after him, all future leaders look back and compare themselves to him. And here's the key thing you've got to know about David to understand this story. It's that God made a covenant with David that's really important. A covenant is a relationship that is based on a promise. And here's the promise that God gave to David, that God was going to give him an eternal kingdom. From here on out, David's family line would be considered the rightful rulers of God's people. And he promised that throughout, through eternity, one of David's children would sit on his throne forever. And with this huge promise came some significant responsibilities. The kingship was not just a blank check for David's kids to do whatever they wanted. God expected faithful obedience from them. They were to worship him and walk in his ways. And if they didn't, they would have to face the consequences. And so that's the key thing you need to know about David to understand this story. After David, Solomon, his son, takes over the throne. And Solomon moves the nation forward in some huge ways. As you probably know, the nation of Israel is made up of 12 tribes, And for the first few hundred years of Israel's history, these 12 tribes were basically independent of each other. Uh, There was no strong central government. Uh, They were tied together by a common ancestry and a common religion, Uh, but basically they only came together when there was a national crisis, someone was invading or something like that. And it was in Solomon's reign that the central government really became strong. Uh, Under Solomon's leadership, the nation came together and prospered in, in amazing ways. Uh, Solomon increased the centralized military and expanded Israel's dominance over the neighboring countries. Uh, He took on major building projects, the most famous of which is the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, He forged trade partnerships, and he brought in huge amounts of wealth into Israel. Uh, At one point, the Bible says that under Solomon, silver was as common as stone in Jerusalem, Uh, which might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but the point was this was an incredible time. And it probably sounds pretty good, but there was a dark side. All of those advances that Solomon made, they came at a cost. Uh, As often is the case, the same policies that caused a nation to prosper also leave some people in the nation behind. So to grow the military, Solomon had to draft soldiers. And to do all those building projects, he needed to recruit laborers. And to grow the the government in Jerusalem, he needed to bring in taxes. Uh, And what that meant is that Solomon was taking men and money from around the country to fuel the growth. And because Solomon was from Judah and Jerusalem in the south of the country, most of the benefits from all this growth were enjoyed by the southern part of the nation rather than being equally distributed. Uh, Most of the cost was shouldered by the northern tribes. And so Solomon's prosperity actually created an unjust situation. And underneath the pretty surface, there were cracks that were growing, especially between the north and the south. But these political problems and economic problems were really just the beginning. The, The worst part was that Solomon opened the door... for people to worship other gods. Uh, One of the ways that Solomon forged alliances with other countries was by marrying women from those countries. Uh, Solomon actually had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And and these women worshiped the gods of the nations around them. And in order to keep them happy, Solomon uh, let them continue practicing their religion even in Israel. So alongside of the temple to God, uh, Solomon also built these smaller temples and shrines and altars to these false gods. And this violated that responsibility that God had given to the kings. Uh, He wasn't faithfully obedient to God, and so God disciplined him. Uh, God told Solomon that part of his kingdom would be taken away from him and his children uh, and be given to someone else. Uh, They would still keep a small part to keep that promise to David that someone would be on the throne, but most of Solomon's kingdom was prophesied to go to a man named Jeroboam. Uh, Jeroboam was a leader in Solomon's government, uh, and when Solomon heard about this, he drove Uh, Jeroboam out. He ran him out, and he went into exile in Egypt. And there he waited, biding his time until the moment was right to return power. So that's the situation when we come to this passage. Uh, Solomon has just died, and now his son is set to take over the kingdom. Uh, And so Rehoboam gathers all of the leaders of the tribes, and he says, can I have your support? And they tell him, they said, well, we're ready to make you king, but if you want our support... You're going to have to change some of these policies that Solomon did. You're going to have to ease up on these things. This is what they mean in verse 4 when they say, Your father put a heavy yoke on us. Now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke, and we will serve you. Now, I don't know what Rehoboam was expecting, probably a warmer reception, but now he faces a tough decision. Because you got to remember, these policies of Solomon, they were working. They were make, making the country wealthy. But, and they were especially working for guys like Rehoboam, who were living in Jerusalem and, and eating it up. But it's also clear that these northern tribes, they're, they're suffering and they're fed up with it. And, and so they're ready to back somebody else if Rehoboam doesn't give in to their demands. So what does he do? Well, in verse five, he stalls. Uh, he asks for some time to think, which was probably a good move. Let's put, push pause on the story here. Because you might be thinking, okay, that's an interesting history there, but what does that have to do with me? Uh, At first glance, it might not seem like too much because Rehoboam's situation isn't quite like ours, but maybe it is a little bit. Uh, You you and I might not be kings or queens, but in some ways we kind of are. We have been given some degree of responsibility in life. We have jobs, we have families, we have money, we have relationships, and in all of these areas, we've got some responsibilities, some influences. Uh, This is what the Bible means when it says that human beings were given dominion over the world. It means that each one of us has been given a little piece of turf, a, a little area of the world, world where we have some control. Uh, he's made us uh, many kings or many queens in some area where our actions make a big difference. And so whether we like it or not, we have to make some decisions about how we're going to use that influence, just like Ray Boehm. And, and it's not simple because just like Ray Boehm, we have inherited the situations that we're in. Uh, we were born into a family. We didn't ask for it. We, we work in companies and in markets that existed before we were there. Uh, we befriend and marry people who have a history before us. Uh, we live in a country and a culture that has a, a long past. And, and so we're handed the results of other people's sins and other people's successes. And that means it's, it's messy and it's complex to figure out what we should do. That's why we need good advice. See, getting advice is not a sign of weakness. It's not a symptom of failure. It is an accurate assessment of our situation. We've been given assignments that are way too big for us. We cannot do it on our own, and we've got to get help from other people. But how do we get it? Let's keep reading in verse 6. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer... They will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what's your advice? How should we answer these people who say say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. I wanna focus on this section for a little bit because I want us to understand how we sort out good advice. How do we sort good advice? Because here's the problem with advice. Uh, We often get contradictory messages, don't we? Uh, And so when we're we're sorting out good advice, I I want us to use four questions to, to sort out the good from the bad. And as I give you these four questions, uh, what I want you to do is think about the people in your life who have the most influence on your behavior and your decisions, the the people that you let have a lot of input, and I want you to ask, how well do they stack up with these questions? So here's the first question. What is their track record? What is their track record? Uh, Look at the two groups that Rehoboam talked to. First, he talks to the elders. Uh, These are guys who had been advisors to King Solomon during his long reign. These are older guys, they've been around the block a few times, and they have worked for a highly successful leader. Uh, even with Solomon's flaws, he is a guy who knew how to run a country. Uh, and even if these guys picked up just a fraction of the wisdom of Solomon, they are probably worth listening to. On the other hand, you've got the young men who grew up with Rehoboam. Uh, these are the children who were uh, of, of members of Solomon's court. Uh, the word young here probably is a little misleading because we know that Rehoboam is 41 years old when he becomes king. Uh, So these guys are probably not kids, but the reason they're called young men is because they lacked leadership experience, and also probably because they continue to act like young men. Uh, They might have been in their 40s, but they have the arrogant, pampered attitude of the royal brats who have grown up in luxury in Jerusalem. Uh, These are guys who don't speak with experience-tested wisdom. And so based on their track record, uh, the, the, the weight should go to the elder's advice. This is really important for us to get. We need to find people in our life who have real experiences in the the things that we're we're getting advice about. And not just experience, but track records of success. Uh, Jesus said that a tree is known by its fruit, and so we need to find people who have good fruit in their lives. Uh, You don't want to get relationship advice from someone who has a six-month expiration date on their relationships. Uh, You don't want budgeting tips from someone who's swimming in debt. You don't want to just Google your question and believe whatever some guy on the Internet wrote on his blog. You wanna find people who know what they're doing. Do you have those people, uh, go-to people in different areas of your life? I would actually recommend doing this. Think about the major areas of your life and ask yourself, where are some mentors and some role models for these areas? They don't have to be uh, formal mentors or anything, just relationships that you're cultivating so that you can go to somebody to talk about things that are going on in your life. Uh, Think about it, If, if you're young, Uh, and you're working someplace, are you building relationships with any older people who have already proven themselves in your field? If you're a teenager, uh, do you have uh, adults in your life that you can talk to about how you're relating to your family or about your dating life so that you're not just talking with uh, your friends who are just as inexperienced as you are? If you're married or you have kids, are are there couples or families around you that you admire and you, you hang out with so you can pick up how they do their family life? Or what about this? This is really important for all of us. Do you know anybody who has gone through suffering and kept their faith and kept their hope? Because we all face suffering at some point in our life, and there are so few good models of how to do that well. Have you found someone that you can say, how did they do that when they were going through a hard time? I want to learn from them. Uh, one of the areas that you might overlook with this is money, because we tend to keep that private in our culture. Uh, but one of the smartest uh, money moves that Michelle and I ever made was getting input from other people about our financial life. Uh, Michelle and I are not idiots when it comes to money, but we've got a couple of friends who are just really, really sharp about this stuff. And so what we did is we actually shared our budget with them. We have it on a, a Google spreadsheet, so we just uh, copied them on it. Uh, and we share with them what we make, uh, what, what we give, uh, what we spend, uh, what we're saving. And we said, what do you think about all of this? And, and so they asked us some really honest questions and, and gave some honest feedback. They helped us make decisions about ha- how to handle our debt and how to save for the future. Uh, I'm pretty sure that if we had not done that, uh, we have not, would have not have been able to buy a house when we did. And of course, it, it was, you know, a little awkward, a little embarrassing, you're sharing this sort of thing, uh, and especially because these guys made a lot more money than we do. But honestly, having them look at it made us feel a lot less worried about our money situation. Because we weren't trying to figure it out on our own. We, were, we had people that we trusted speaking into it. Uh, this is important in any area of life. you got to find people with a track record and then take their input seriously. That's the first question. Here's the second question. Where are their loyalties? Where are their loyalties? Uh, when someone gives you advice, their loyalties can go in basically three places. They can be loyal to themselves, to you, and to the community around you, uh, the, the people who are going to be affected by your decisions. And it's really important to figure out whose interests they're considering when they're talking to you. Uh, Of course, you definitely want people who are going to be loyal to you, who are going to have your best interest in mind. Otherwise, it gets manipulative. Uh, But you've got to think about those other two categories as well. Uh, Look back at the passage. Uh, Compare the elders and the young men. Uh, Verse 6 says that the elders served Rehoboam's father, Solomon. Uh, These are men who spent their lives serving Rehoboam's family. Uh, Odds are they are very interested in, in Rehoboam succeeding. But what's really interesting is that their advice clearly has the broader community in mind. What's striking about it is that these advisors of Solomon are actually saying, you should reverse Solomon's policies, which is really unexpected. They are not maintaining the status quo. They are considering the needs of the community in that moment, which might be different from the past. And they're saying, what can we do to serve these people right now? The young men, on the other hand, uh, these are his buddies. Uh, Verse 8 says that they grew up with him and they are serving him, which meant that they're part of Rehoboam's royal entourage. This is his posse. And I I have no doubt that they're really interested in Rehoboam's success, uh, mostly because it's going to make them successful too. They're thinking about how that's going to benefit them. Uh, All of these taxes that are coming into Jerusalem, they're funding their lavish lives. And so they're going to get rich off of these people. Uh, And and it's clear they're not too worried about who suffers for it as long as they're doing okay. This is really key for getting truly wise advice. You've got to pay attention to conflicts of interest. You've got to look out for people who are not just thinking about you, but also thinking about themselves. Uh, Let me share maybe a hidden way where this shows up Uh, it happens with kids' activities. Uh, we live in a, a middle-class, suburban kind of area, so uh, most of us assume, you know, if my kid is going to succeed in life, i got to get them involved in all the right activities. they got to be exposed to lots of stuff. Uh, they got to have music lessons and uh, do dance lessons and be in sports leagues and do all of these things, get tutored. If they're going to be well-rounded, if they're going to thrive in school and be on the varsity team and get the scholarship, they got to do all of these things. And, and so what we do is we, we shell out the money. And we fill up our schedules, and we do it all to give our kids the best. And the result is that a lot of us, we have harried, frantic lives. We're never together as a family. The weekends get filled up, and church gets squeezed out more often than not. And why do we do it? Because we've assumed the advice, get your kids involved in a lot of activities, is good advice. But why do we think it's good advice? Where's the advice coming from? A lot of times, it's coming from people who have a conflict of interest, the people who are selling us the activities, the the coaches and the tutors and the instructors. You say, you got to do this, you got to do that. This isn't to say that the activities are bad, but there might be some conflict of interest here. And maybe the urgency we feel to fill our kids' lives with activities is not quite as urgent as it seems. On the other hand, you've got to pay attention to people who don't just have your interest in mind or their interest in mind, but also have the needs of the community in mind. I find this really important in kind of work decisions. Uh, When you're in a work situation and people are debating, should we do this or should we do that? It's really interesting to listen to the reasons people give pros and cons for the decisions. Uh, It's interesting when someone keeps referring to how much work it's going to be for them, how much it's going to cost them, how inconvenient it's going to be for them. They're mostly thinking how this is going to affect me. Uh, The the advice that I really find valuable are the people who say, you know, how's this going to affect other people? The people that work for me, the people uh, that are our customers, the people that, uh, that, that are in our wider community where our business or our, our organization is. Uh, those are the people you say, that's real wisdom because they're thinking beyond just the scope of this little room of where the ripple effects are going to be for this. Uh, that's the important part. You've got to give weight to people who have the bigger picture in mind. That's the second question. Now, let's look at the third question. Look at verse 8. After Rehoboam talks to the elders, immediately it says he rejected the advice the elders gave to him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him. It's obvious that Rehoboam is looking for a certain kind of answer. Uh, He hasn't heard the young men's advice yet, but he's already decided he's not interested in what the elders said. So he keeps moving to find someone who's going to say what he wants to hear already. And that's the third question when you get advice. Are these people just saying what I want to hear? Are they just saying what I want to hear? In some ways, this is really a question more about us than it is about the people we're getting advice from. Uh, Because think about it, you don't get surrounded by yes men and yes women just by accident. The way it happens is by being closed off to input and being oversensitive to critique and gravitating to those people who don't push back. And over time, the people who would challenge you, they just stop bothering to do that. And you end up in this echo chamber of people who just tell you exactly what you wanna hear. Uh, one area where this comes up a lot is with our romantic relationships. Uh, if you're in a relationship with someone, it is so easy, isn't it, to just get your, your, your judgment kind of clouded, your desires are strong, your emotions are high, and so you can bristle against advice you don't really like. You know, you, you don't want to hear the concerns that people have about the person you're dating. Or on the flip side, you, you don't want to hear people say, hey, you guys have been together for a real long time, are you guys going to commit? Or you get offended when a friend challenges you about how far you're going physically with someone. You just tune out the input that you don't like and you listen to what confirms what you already want to hear. Now, it's not that everybody should have a a say in your relationships, but you've got to have some people who who can speak in and push back and say blunt things when you're in an unhealthy or sinful place. Uh, This is one of the massive lies of our culture, I think, that our relationships and our sex lives especially is nobody else's business. Uh, No one can tell you who to love. What happens in your bedroom is your issue. But the truth is, who we date, who we sleep with, who we marry, it has ripple effects through all of our relationships. It is not really a private matter. And let's face it, most of us find romantic relationships confusing and difficult. And more often than not, if we don't have good, godly people who can speak honestly into those areas of our lives, we're going to wreck ourselves. I think this is true not just with dating, but even once you're married. Uh, I have a happy, healthy marriage, uh, but even so, I've got a friend who asks me about this stuff. Uh, We get together every other week, uh, and he has complete and total freedom to ask me anything he wants, uh, anything in my life, how I'm treating Michelle, how we're getting along, any temptation I'm facing, what I'm looking at, my thought life, uh, the the whole bit, total freedom. And he also has complete permission to say anything that he thinks I need to hear, even if I don't want to hear it. And I actually think that this is one of the reasons why I have a happy, healthy marriage because I've got someone in my life who can challenge me if needed. Do you have someone like that in your life? And maybe not just with relationships, but any area of your life where you might be tempted to deceive yourself, where you'd be closed off to being challenged. Especially think of areas of addictive behavior in your life because we've all got those kind of uh, addictions. Who can speak into those areas and say what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear? Let's look at the final question. Do they echo scripture? Do they echo scripture? Uh, Look again at what the young men say. Uh, Rehoboam's buddies, the advice that they give him is both crude and harsh. They say, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Uh, That's that's actually an innuendo. That that word little finger there is not referring to a little finger. Uh, They're not talking about the size of his hands. This is macho bravado. Uh, They go on to give him advice that is harsh. They say, increase what Solomon was doing. Uh, and frankly, the, the kind of response that they give is, it sounds a lot like an insecure leader, uh, the sort of person who is threatened by those that they lead. Uh, they're saying, you thought that was bad, huh? Okay, well, we'll show you what bad is. That'll teach you to complain. Uh, these are the words of bullies, uh, people who force compliance, who overreact when they're challenged. But then you look at the advice of the elders. Look at verse seven. Uh, notice the repeating words here. If today you will be a servant to these people, and you will serve them, give them a favorable answer. They will always be your servants. It's all about how to serve. They're saying you've got to take seriously the concerns of people who feel like they've been run over by the system. You've got to listen to their pain, and you've got to do what you can to serve them. What's so interesting about this is that these elders never quote the Bible, and yet they echo exactly what the Bible's teaching on leadership is. Like If you flip back to the book of Deuteronomy, which is the foundational document for Israel, when it describes what a king should be like, it says things like, the king should be like a brother to the people. He shouldn't acquire a lot of wealth. He shouldn't put himself as better than the other Israelites. Or if you go to Proverbs, a book of wisdom, it says a successful king is like this, love and faithfulness keep a king safe. It is through love that his throne is made secure. Over and over again, the Bible talks about kings who establish justice by serving the poor and the oppressed. If you fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus sums it up so well. He says, "The, the, the rulers of the world, they lord their power over other people. But it shouldn't be like that with you guys. Instead, whoever wants to become great has got to be your servant. And whoever would be first must be the slave of all. He goes on to say, even I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. And that kind of thing, it just cuts against the grain of most visions of leadership in the ancient world and in the modern world. Biblical leadership is servanthood. And so when the elders say this, they're actually reflecting in their own words the deep teaching and priorities of Scripture. And that really is the ultimate test for good advice. Does it echo Scripture? Does it sound like this person has been soaking in the Bible? And I don't just mean do they know the facts, do they know the answers to, to questions about the Bible. I mean, do they look at the world through the lens of the Bible? Are, are, do they have a rich vision of a life that is centered on God and pursuing God's priorities? Now, of course, if you want to answer that question, you probably need to be soaking in the Bible yourself. You've got to be spending daily time in God's Word with, on your own or with your family. It means you, you make it a priority to be uh, in worship services like this on the weekends, hearing from God's Word week in and week out. It means studying God's word with a group of other people, like a community group. Yeah, these are all activities to get you so immersed in the Bible that when you go out into the rest of your life, your instincts are already shaped to recognize when things are echoes of Scripture or when they're, they're going against the grain of what the Bible says. So that's the fourth question. Does the advice echo Scripture? Now, look at those questions again and ask yourself, how do the people that speak into my life measure up with this? What is their track record? What are their loyalties? Can they tell me what I need to hear, not just what I want to hear? And do they echo scripture? If your closest friends and advisors fall short on this, you've got to find better ones. Uh, that's another reason why things like weekend services and community groups are so important. Uh, that's the place where you come in contact to people like this. Uh, God doesn't expect us to figure out life on our own. We're supposed to partner with other people and pool our wisdom. We're supposed to uh, rub off on each other, sharing insight and experience. Uh, That's one of the major purposes of the church. We are to be a community of shared wisdom. Uh, Let's finish up the story here. What does Rehoboam do with all this advice? Verse 12. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, come back in three days. The king answered the people harshly. Rejecting the advice given him by the elders, he followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy, I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. And so Rehoboam sides with the young men. He takes the bad advice. And we are left with the question, what happens when we ignore good advice? What happens when we ignore good advice? Well, here's what happens to Rehoboam, verse 15. So the king did not listen to the people. For this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam the son of Nebat through Ahijah the Shilonite. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, what share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel, look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. King Rehoboam set out Adam, Okay, three services in a row. I have not been able to say this name. Three times. Everybody's giving me tips after the service. Here's how to pronounce the name, and I still can't do it. So Rehoboam sent out that guy who was in charge of the forced labor, but all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. When all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned... They sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. We're going to stop there in verse 20. What happens when we ignore good advice and make a bad decision? The first thing is this. The consequences are real. The consequences are real. Uh, The results of Rehoboam's decision are serious and they are long-lasting. The people turn on Rehoboam. One of his officials is killed. He barely escapes with his life. And then that begins a rebellion of the northern tribes of Israel against the southern tribe of Israel. It splits the country in two. Uh, the northern kingdom is called Israel, the southern kingdom is called Judah, and the rift is never healed. Now, when you read the rest of the Old Testament, the story bounces back and forth between these two kingdoms, the north and the south. And so there are serious, long-lasting consequences of this decision. But the same is true in our lives. Our bad decisions have real consequences. And faith in God does not let us avoid those consequences. You see, God takes us seriously enough to let our decisions matter. And that's why getting wise counsel is so important, because the stakes are high. But that has to be held in tension with another, much more important truth. Look at verse 15. It says, This turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken. The consequences are real, but it's important to understand that no matter what, God gets the last word. God gets the last word. In this story, that's probably not too comforting because God is using these circumstances to discipline the kings of Israel. Uh, but in the big picture, we've got to get this. Our dumb decisions do not derail God's plan. Uh, not only do they not derail God's plan, God actually works them into his plan. Now, there's only about a minute left in this sermon, so I am not gonna unravel the mystery of how God can be in complete control and people can still be free, Uh, but that's an important topic for another time. But here's what I want you to get. I want you to see this and take hope hope from the fact that you cannot screw up God's plan. Uh, God's plan is never threatened by you or your stupid or sinful decisions. Uh, And his plan ultimately stays on track and is headed towards mercy and restoration. Uh, Through all the twists and turns, that's where he's going. Uh, verse 20 says that only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. And that's, a, that's a, a somber note there, but it has the seeds of hope in it because it means that God has not given up on his promises. He, he made a promise to David's family and he's gonna keep it. There is still a king on the throne. And even though that king doesn't deserve to be there, God is gonna be gracious and merciful and keep his word because God has something much bigger that he's working on. Think about this, 900 years after these events, one of Rehoboam's great, 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 great grandchildren is gonna be born. He's gonna be born in a little town in Judah, the same place where David was born, in the town of Bethlehem. On the very first page of the New Testament, you find Rehoboam's name in the list of Jesus's family line. And Jesus would not be a selfish, spoiled prince raised in the court of Solomon. He would be laid in a manger and raised by two peasants all his life people would give him terrible advice about how to secure his throne the throne that was rightfully his how to use his power to crush his enemies and to exalt himself but he would choose again and again to suffer and to serve and in the end he would lay down his life to rescue and to unite his people and that is how he would win his rightful throne this is the one that we follow in every decision every circumstance jesus the king I'm gonna pray now. After that, we're gonna sing one final song. It's a a new song for us at Christ Community. Uh, I think it's a perfect song for this series. It's called I Will Follow. And it expresses that desire of ours to follow Jesus every step along the way, no matter what the circumstances. Uh, During this song, we're gonna be collecting our gifts and our offerings, and I do wanna remind you that we are working on our year-end goal here of closing the gaps, both in our next campaign giving and our general fund giving. Uh, We've had some unexpected shortfalls in both those areas, and uh, the, the gap has been getting smaller, but we would love for you to help both of those gaps disappear as the year ends. So let's pray, and let's sing, and let's give. God, we are so thankful, so thankful that you uh, give us some responsibility in the world, that you've put us in places where we have influence and we, we've got to make decisions, that, we, that our, our lives matter. And we also want to thank you that you have put us in, in a community like a church where we can get wisdom from people, people who are seeking you. God, we pray that you would uh, open our hearts to hear the right input, that, that we would be able to sort out the wise from the foolish uh, and that we would grow in wisdom as we listen to the right people. God, we, we know that we have made dumb, sinful decisions, and many of us are suffering the consequences of those decisions even right now. God, God we would ask for your mercy, uh, that, that, that you would uh, show us kindness and mercy in these situations, and we pray that you would redeem them for good and help us walk in the future in your guidance and your wisdom. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.